Welcome to the Active Shooter Incident Management Podcast. My name is Bill Godfrey, your podcast host. We appreciate you tuning back in uh, with us this week. We have a a special guest, uh, one of our instructors who uh, has been on a little bit of a leave of absence, Michelle Cook. Now, most of you will remember if you've been with us for a long time, uh, Michelle's done some podcasts in the past and was a police chief uh, up in the North Florida area. But uh, not too long ago, she was elected sheriff in uh, Clay County in the North Florida area and uh, is taking the time to talk with us today, kind of catch us up what's going on, and tell us a little bit about her experience with the Active Shooter Incident Management Intermediate class. Michelle, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you inviting me back on. So being sheriff, was it, you know, it's an elected position, a lot of work with that. Um, was it as much fun as you thought it was going to be? <laughs> the campaigning or the actual job? <laughs> uh, I'll let you answer that any way you want. <laughs> sure. You know, campaigning was tough, but I, you know, I'm, I'm truly a committed public servant that wants to do right by the officers on the street that protect us every day. And so that was my motivation to run. And since winning the election uh, and being in office now for just about a year, uh, the the, um, the, the, uh, the ability to bring uh, the great training and, and looking out for the deputies that serve on the street uh, has really been my driving force for going into work every day. Well, I, I know you're, you're very good at it and, um, and have a passion for this like nobody else I've ever seen. We certainly miss you here on, on our side of the fence, and I look forward to the time comes that uh, you slow down a little bit and, and kind of come back to the fold. <laughs> so I thought it'd be fun to have you on to talk about our um, Active Shooter Incident Management Intermediate class and your experience with hosting that. Now, for the audience, the ASIM Intermediate is our two-day version of the class, which obviously we used to do face-to-face. Um, but because of COVID, we developed a new platform that would allow us to do this hands-on training remotely. And so the ASIM Intermediate today is now available um, remote and not in Zoom or Microsoft Team meetings, but in our own platform that we built so that we could still do hands-on live scenarios. So, uh, Sheriff, I thought it'd be fun to let, have you kind of share with everybody what, from your perspective, led you to you know, to want to do that, have the class, uh, you know, tell us the story. Sure. Um, you know, so I'm going to take you back to 10 years ago when I, when I started getting involved in the active shooter incident management classes and they were in person and they were so valuable. And I saw the value in them and was actually able to apply, um, the principles in the active shooter incident management class to my work and, and teaching the officers and the deputies that I work with the principles and saw it in action. And the more I saw the principles working, the more I bought into this, this training. So when COVID struck and really took, you know, training came to a halt for all of us, uh, as a police leader, I knew that uh, I could not go out there in the public and say, well, we had to stop training because of COVID. That's, that is not acceptable um, in my line of work. So when the, the ASIM Intermediate came up and you guys talked about um, this virtual platform, I, I will say I was a little hesitant. I'm I'm a 30-year veteran. I, I believe in the old school, sitting at a desk, hands-on. But I realized, Bill, quickly that really the technology is the wave of the future. And in talking to my younger deputies, they were not fearful of a virtual class. Now, I will say some of my older deputies, um, 
were hesitant, but, you know, we pushed forward anyway. And uh, I can tell you from sitting in the class during the virtual delivery, it was absolutely spot on. It didn't miss the beat and really provided the ASIM principles in a virtual platform and the, and the training was fantastic. Well, that's, that's wonderful to hear. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm relieved, honestly. I was a little nervous when you said you wanted to host this class because you're a, you're a perfectionist like me and a stickler, and I thought, oh, please, Lord, let everything go right. <laughs> uh, so I was a little nervous, but, I, you know, uh, Michelle, from your perspective, how would you describe that platform and the experience to somebody who's never seen it? Because that's always a challenge for me trying to describe it to folks. Yeah, you know, it really is a challenge. Um but the thing I would, the, the way that I would describe it, or the way I do describe it to people is, uh, you have an active shooter incident, you have a critical incident, and we do as a profession, we've done so well at, at training how to tactically respond and take the bad guy out, but active shooter incident management is so much bigger than that. So through this virtual platform uh, where you have um, you know, everybody has a, a, um, a character that, that acts and interacts with the other characters. You're able to learn the principles of the incident management. You know, it's less about clearing a room and more about taking command and control of the scene. And, um, you know, with the, with the virtual platform, you're able to learn these principles and practice these principles all while sitting at a desk. I think that's a great summary. I might have to borrow some of that for uh, uh, some of the materials when people ask for the explanation. <laughs> I appreciate that. I won't charge you. I won't charge you. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the, Sheriff, one of the things uh, I thought was kind of interesting, you had, what, 30, 30 40 people in the class from your side? Yes. And yes. then we had about, I don't know, it was another half dozen or dozen from across the country that, that all joined in. Um, and you made an interesting choice, which was to, even though this was a virtual delivery, you made a choice to pull all of your people to um, one central location. And so we had this this group up at your place that was taking it together, and then these uh, half dozen other uh, dozen other students from across the country that were all remote. How how did that work? What what led up to you to decide that? Well, you know, well, that was a purposeful and deliberate decision, and and there was a couple of reasons I did it that way. Number one. I, uh, my county, we have four different law enforcement agencies in my county, plus our two different fire rescue uh, agencies in the county. So by bringing all of these people in a room, even though they were working virtually, we were able to establish, reestablish, and build relationships. And that was, a, that was lacking a little bit in my county is the working relationships. So bringing them all together. I also purposely planted some what I call ringers in the class. These are guys who truly understand the ASIM concepts and are, are champions of the concepts. And so during break, I, I encourage these guys to lead the informal discussion. Hey, what did you think about that? Hey, didn't that work out well? And so really reemphasizing um, the concepts through the informal conversations that would occur at each break. So, Although the technology, um, bringing everybody in one room, there was a, a, a draw or a pull on the technology side, uh, it really worked out well for us because um, now we're back to um, some traditional training. And my trainers who were in the class 
are ensuring that they include these other agencies that they've never really thought about before uh, in, in our training. So for me, it was very purposeful, very deliberate, because what I saw that lacked um, in, in my county was some working relationships uh, and, and making sure that I got buy-in by planting some ringers in the room who can continue the conversation. That's really interesting. Um, I knew you had a couple of strong people in the room uh, that were taking the class, but I didn't know that you had kind of purposely uh, planted, as you as you said, uh, some ringers. Um, what what made you feel so passionately about that? That's just that's an interesting idea. Well, you know, anytime you know, policemen love training; they hate training all at the same time. And so here we were introducing some new concepts. For, for many of these in the class. And at the same time, we were doing it virtually. And for many in law enforcement, especially you know guys that have about seven years on or more, they're still afraid of the technology. Um, they're still concerned that there's a training value while using technology. So I wanted to make sure that I did not have a strong personality um, you know, in the middle of this class, throw his hands up and go, this is BS. This is dumb. Um, you know, this is not worth it because your informal leaders in the class can really drive how people feel about the training. So by planting some informal leaders that were ringers, um, I purposely drove the conversation to the positive. And then people who had questions about what they learned or what was said were naturally, gra- they naturally gravitated to these leaders um, and said, well, tell me why this happened. Why do we have to go to staging? You know, why, why can't we self-deploy from another agency? And those conversations happened. Um, and so the guys that really understood the concepts were able to, again, uh, really drive home the, 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 the purpose uh, or the principles that were, that were being taught on this virtual platform. That's really interesting. Now, I'm curious, because we did have uh, a number of other students that were from different places in the country that were in that same class interacting with your, your team and the, and the folks that you had on that location. Did you hear any feedback or reactions about uh, what it was like working with people from different States uh, in, in the class and in the responses? Yeah, it was interesting because there was some conversation, a little bit of a conversation about lingo and tactics um, and the pace of response for some of them. And, you know, and for me, that really gave me a, a, an opportunity for a, a, a training point. I said, guys, you know, those guys are from out of state. We don't have to worry about them responding to our incident. However, if we don't all work together as different agencies in the county, if we don't get all on the same page and train together and have the same concepts and use the same principles, when we have an, an active shooter incident in our county, we're going to see the same thing from those agency members. That's why we have to train together. So for me, it was really uh, a point that I could drive home to everybody that was in the classroom uh, because I had other agency leaders in there. You know, hey guys, this is why it's so important to train. Those guys that were out from another state, you know, we may be in the same county, but if we don't train together, we're going we're gonna to experience what we experienced in this virtual platform. Now, let me say this, Bill. Uh, the overall general feeling about working with guys from out of state was, phenomenal i mean they they uh apparently they, whatever group was in there was was really sharp my guys were commenting on how really sharp they were so that was a plus but the little nuances of not training together uh were apparent and so for again for me it really drove home the point 
we, we can't just think that because we're all in the same county and we're going to respond the same. We have to train together. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting perspective. I, I remember from your class, so one of the students was from uh, Portland uh, Police, and uh, there was a scenario where one of your uh, – uh, one of your fire department people, and I'm not really sure if it was with your county fire department or one of the other ones, um, but the uh, Portland police officer was in the tactical position, and uh, your firefighter was in the uh, triage position, and he just kept saying over and over and over again afterwards, he just could not get over the fact that he just spent 45 minutes running a live active shooter scenario with a guy that was, you know, uh, literally across the country for him. I mean, I don't know that it could be much further, you know, Florida over to Portland and mm-hmm. and they just, and they just ran it, you know, seamlessly. They were talking to each other like they were standing next to each other. They worked it together. It was a common language, you know, um, and, and he just couldn't get over uh, that this guy that's literally across the country and three hours and, uh, you know, three different time zones away and they're, they're working this incident together. I thought that was a pretty fascinating perspective. Well, I, you know, but I think that speaks to the uh, uh, the comprehensive, yet simple principles of active shooter incident management. I mean, it really does. You know, kind of like ICS. Uh, if you know the basic principles, it's very simple. As long as you stick, stick to simple but comprehensive principles, if the guy in Portland happens to be on vacation in Florida, we have an active shooter incident, he can jump right in seamlessly. Uh, and I think that that's the value of um, of the class and, and making sure that your class is diverse uh, with people uh, that could potentially respond together. And the great thing about the virtual platform is you can do it virtually. So we could have people in neighboring agencies, neighboring counties, all very realistically could respond to an incident with us, uh, training with us. So I got to ask, what were the, you know, what were some of the, the, the good comments and some of the negative comments? Because I'm sure that you, uh, you heard both uh, after, the, after the training. Uh, what was some of the good and bad that you heard? Uh, the good absolutely was understandable, realistic. Uh, boy, I could use this. I could use this on other calls that are critical in nature, um, easy to learn. Uh, They loved the scenarios. I thought the scenarios were very realistic. The downs were, you know, some of my old timers didn't like the technology. Uh, And, you know, that's understandable. I've told you several times, the technology sort of scares me too as a a 30-year law enforcement officer. But I go back to two things, and I would tell these guys this, you know, yes, you've been on 20 years. Yes, using a, a virtual system is a little bit cumbersome for you. But two things. One, younger deputies, younger officers, younger firemen, you know, younger dispatchers, they're not scared of the technology. They've grown up with technology. And the other thing, too, as a, as a longtime trainer, what I've, what I've realized and what I've come to understand is that different people learn from different platforms. So whether it's a tabletop, uh, a real-life exercise, um, or a virtual training platform, the more ways that you can present the concepts on different platforms, the more opportunity you have to connect with your students and the more opportunity you have to really drive home those principles and those training points that you want to get to. So my younger deputies loved, you know, they, they thought they were sitting at home on their Xbox. Um, you know, they loved the technology. The older guys, not so much, but they understood why we were going that way. 
Well, I, you know, and, and I would expect to hear that. I, um, it would surprise me if you didn't have uh, some of the old timers that didn't really care for it. I, I laughingly joked just a, a few weeks ago, we had a, a, during one of the classes, we had a support call come in and I was on the phone with somebody trying to walk them through a, uh, an issue they were having with their computer. And I go, well, just hit your escape key. And they go, what's an escape key? And I thought, well, all right. Um, I've just, you know, gone around the bend here. Uh, so I, I get it. You know, there's, there are people that are a little bit uh, uncomfortable with it. And I think the other piece of this is, and I'm really curious to see where this goes, but during COVID, um, I, I know I got sick and tired of these virtual meetings and the idea of one more virtual training, I, I think everybody just kind of got in accustomed to logging in and zoning out. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sign in, I'm going to turn on my, my video and my microphone for just a minute. I'm going to say hi to everybody and then I'm going to mute my video and mute my microphone and then I'm going to move on to another task, but I'm going to get credit for this class. Um, and, and people got used to that and really kind of developed a bad habit. And of course, in this class, you, you, you can't do that. There's no, yeah, you can't do that at all. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you're, you're engaged. It's, it's like being in the classroom. You're, you're present. The instructors are walking up to you, asking you questions. You, you are moving around, uh, working through the scenarios. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, we, we do get some, some, uh, surprise, I guess, but what do you think, where do you think we'll go once we get to the other side of COVID? So, you know, we were forced to use all this virtual, uh, remote stuff, and now everybody's sick of it, so there's kind of a backlash. Uh, and at some point next year, I think it'll kind of settle in. Where do you think we'll we'll settle in on this? You know, I think we'll settle with a lean towards virtual. And again, I'll go back to the fact of there's a couple of things. One, uh, this is this is a uh, a different way a, from a from a management standpoint, a relatively uh, easy way. Uh, inexpensive way to get good solid training in um, and you know again with the younger deputies this is they grew up playing these games right and and you know ASM intermediate is not a game but they grew up playing these sorts of uh, games and in, in using technology and they're not afraid of it so I I love the idea that it's you know again a another training platform that resonates uh, with a lot of people so I, I end up you know, I think good police leaders, good fire leaders, uh, good EMS leaders should really consider a variety of platforms when bringing in such an important topic like this because understanding that some of your members are going to like the, the hands-on in-person training. Uh, some of your members are going to like the virtual training. Some of your members, you know, are going to like you know another training platform that's out there. And really, I think it's a, a great opportunity to to utilize different platforms that present the same concepts because it just, again, it just really deepens and furthers the, the, you know, the embedding of this, of this process of this, you know, response into the core of your agency. You know, it's, it, I, I think you're probably right. It's a fascinating topic and I'm not really sure where it's going to go. Uh, obviously we have restarted our face-to-face deliveries as well. And we are going to maintain the virtual platform. In fact, we've got a couple of other classes that we're going to be rolling out on it. Um, we've got some EOC uh, training classes that are planned uh, and um, a hospital active shooter course and a couple of other things that are in the works. So we're going to make use of the platform moving forward. 
but I'll be curious to see um, long term what what that impact is. So let me shift gears a little bit, uh, Sheriff. You're, you you took over uh, County Law Enforcement Agency. You're the big boss. Um, the buck stops with you. Uh, they, uh, your, your agency is, uh, and your county or region has adopted, um, the active shooter incident management, uh, checklist process, if you will. You've had this preliminary training, which obviously didn't hit all of your people. I know you got way more people than that. So what's next? Where are you going to go from here? Well, for us, it's a couple of things. Um, again, uh, putting some, uh, deliberately putting some ringers in the class that really appreciate and understand the processes. Um, we're continuing to push it out. In fact, um, my training division, which uh, consists of several SWAT guys, and, and the SWAT guys, anything that's active shooter, you know, your SWAT guys tend to give it credibility if they bought into it. So that was that was part of the deliberate process is getting those guys to buy in. So they're continuing the training. So when they go out and do uh, the traditional room clearing and, and, and you know, uh, suspect mitigation training, and when they're out there doing that, they're, they're implementing the principles that they learned in the ASIM Intermediate into our routine training at our agency. So for me, you know, we're going to continue to push those principles and concepts out. I will tell you at my previous agency where I was a chief of police, uh, they even went one step further. Uh, the guys on the street and any hot call or priority one call, uh, they would use the ASIM principle. Uh, the person in charge of the hot zone declared themselves tactical. And unless they, you know, if they weren't, uh, if staging was needed, they set up staging or she would set up staging. Uh, and so whether it was a robbery in progress or a burglary in progress, um, they carried it one step further out there. And I'm hoping to see that uh, with, with my new agency sort of organically letting that happen. And I think we're, we're heading that way. But, you know, as a police leader, continue pushing the principles. You know, I tell people, ASIM, active shooter incident management, is a perishable skill. And if you don't have a plan, a training plan to continue pushing it, uh, your people will lose that skill. So for us, it, you know, the informal training, the formal training, and then reaching back out to C3 pathways every couple of years and, and bringing the training in for, for a refresher, so to speak, um, is, is where I'm headed with it. You know, it's so interesting to hear you say that. Uh, just, I, I can't remember if it was last week or a week before, but just in the last two weeks, we had a podcast episode where we talked about, the whole episode was about other uses of the ASIM checklist um, besides just active shooter. And I, it's, a you know, to me, it's kind of one of those uh, uh, funny little secrets that, that we chuckle about because it is what you just said. The, the ASIM checklist process is kind of a standardized way of approaching these things, and it doesn't have to be an active shooter call for it to be very useful in dig, laying Absolutely. out the rules. Absolutely. I mean, uh, my folks used it in a, in a robbery to a bank in progress. We've used it on house fire calls um, just to avoid overconvergence. Who's in charge of the hot zone? You know, the, the um, you know we're, we're evacuating due to a, a fire, not due to an active shooter, but still a lot of the same things are happening. So, uh, again... Uh, you know, as a as a long time you know police practitioner and, and you know many 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 you know two decades on the street so to speak, uh, I absolutely without a doubt one hundred percent believe and have seen the ASIM checklist principles applied to other hot calls. And when they're using it for those other calls, when the big call does come in, when the the active shooter incident does come in, uh, you know they're not 
they're not looking for their checklist in the car, so to speak. It is in their minds because they've been using it on the hot calls already. I I think that's that's wonderful, and I, I always knew you were um, uh, a law enforcement leader with a lot of vision. I know I've t- I've told you that before, and you always roll your eyes at me when I I say you're probably rolling your eyes right now. But you know you probably. You, you know I, I mean it was decades ago that that you saw through some of the you know. Um, uh, for the benefit of the audience, I, I say frequently to to people and to the other instructors, uh, FEMA and the fire service did a did a horrible disservice to law enforcement when we convinced you that ICS meant an eighteen wheeler semi truck of paperwork is going to back up to your scene and vomit paper on your scene. That's really not what ICS is about. But I mean, it was right. it was at least two decades ago that you kind of saw through that and said, wait a minute, there, there's something of value in here for law enforcement. And so you've been a pr- practitioner of it for a very, very long time. Um, so you're not Absolutely. a, you're not a Johnny come lately. You've been doing this a long time, but let me ask you this, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll wrap up here on this final closing thought. So what would you say to your fellow law enforcement leaders who are, you know, the sheriff, the chief of police, the deputy chief, uh, chief deputy at the, you know, county sheriff's office? What would you say to them about how to get started and make things a little bit better? You know, they've maybe they've done some contact training. They've done a little bit of, uh, um, uh, you know, moving into move to the threat training, but not a whole lot beyond that haven't done any integrated stuff with their fire EMS agencies, what would your advice be to them? Well, the first thing I would tell them is I think you're morally, ethically, and legally obligated to move beyond just dealing with the suspect. Uh, You know, police leaders can't say, well, I taught them how to shoot the bad guy, but all these other bad things happened and we weren't prepared. You know, study after study, uh, after action report after action report show and prove that the incident management is really where things fall. And unfortunately, people die because scenes are not managed correctly. So as a police leader, as a fire leader, as an EMS leader, you have an obligation legally, morally, and ethically to take the next step, which is the scene management, the active shooter or critical incident scene management. And, you know, there. I'll say this, and, and I've said it before, because again, I, I was on the street for 20 years. You know, um, I was a, I was an incident commander of our SWAT team for three years. I I led a patrol division for for a number of years. Um, the principles of ASIM are simple, comprehensive, and they work. And if you, as a police leader, are not moving your team to the next step of of scene management uh, when it does happen in your jurisdiction, you're going to be the one at the end of the day that has to answer for why it's, you, your your folks messed up. And it's not that they messed up, it's that you didn't take them to the next step of training. Sheriff Michelle Cook, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and to talk about this and share your experience. Uh, I know I, I speak uh, with fondness from the other instructors. We miss you. We uh, we look forward when the time comes that your life slows down a little bit that you can uh, join us doing some of the training classes. But uh, we know in the meantime you're doing very, very important work on the on the other side. So thank you for carving the time out to, to make this happen. Thanks for being here. Absolutely, Bill. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, sir. 
Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, please do so wherever you're consuming your podcast. And I'd like to also give a shout out thanks to our producer, uh, Carla Torres, for putting these things together for us. Until next time, stay safe.